Welcome to New Legacy Radio with Christine Erickson. Our weekly programming serves the growing global community of people without children. We also inform practitioners and institutions who influence policy, organizational culture, and media narratives about issues of concern to our community. Now, on to our show. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for tuning in today to New Legacy Radio. I'm Christine Erickson, your host, and I'm also the founder of New Legacy Institute, which I founded to, you know, to create an opportunity for us as a community to look at policies impacting all of us. And today's conversation really brings me back to my why of that and how when the personal is absolutely political, what, how do we respond to that? And, and what is our responsibility in that? Um, we're today living in a world that is moving in an extreme direction in terms of women's reproductive rights. And we have had significant laws changed here in the United States in the past couple of years, impacting access to abortion. And it has moved into also restricting birth control and such. And there are so many things woven into that, that the the impetus for speaking to this today is, if any of you have listened to previous episodes or visited some of the work a team of us have done recently, we're, we're going to touch on the film Birth Gap, Childless World today. And look at it through the lens of a childless perspective and what that means to us individually and and as a community. And what is our response? And we're very fortunate today to have with us Pamela Mahoney-Sigdinas. I I thank you so much for being here today, Pamela. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, Christine. Thank you. there's such a there's a complexity in the the multi layers of of this you know of our lives really that we have that we are on these paths we've been on these journeys and I can't think of anyone better today to have this conversation with so thank you so much for being here and those for those of you who may not be familiar with Pamela um, she has been someone who has done incredible writing, research, um, a number of contributions on behalf of our community, I will say, um, not only around IVF and reproductive technologies, um, for IVF survivors. And she is someone that I, I honor and respect so much, and I just feel so grateful anytime we can have a conversation like this. So I, I want to introduce her to you a little bit more for those of you who may not know her or may, or may not know these things about her. So Pamela is an award-winning journalist. She's a researcher and certainly a truth teller about realities in the aftermath of ART, assisted reproductive technology. She is also the award-winning author of Silent Sorority, A Barren Woman Gets Busy, Angry, Lost, and Found, The First Infertility, oh, Angry, Lost, and Found, I'm sorry, I always see that as two books, I don't know, I'm sorry, (laughs) The First Infertility Memoir Not Authored by a Mother, which is incredible um, when I think about the time that you wrote this and that 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 is a first. Thank you so much for that. 
Um, she's also the author of Finally Heard, which moves beyond the personal to examine the complex interrelationship of the psychological, social, and cultural implications faced by Generation IVF, which is much of what um, we will get into today as well. She's also the co-founder of the grassroots initiative, ReproductiveTruths.org. And um, after the conversation today, we'll, we'll post um, some relevant links of some brilliant writing of blogs and her, her papers that are relevant to today's conversation as well. So thank you again, Pamela, for being here and for yeah being ready and willing to have this conversation. I truly appreciate it. There's a lot of material to cover, that's for sure. <laughs> yes. So, you know, I've been in conversation about this film in particular, um, Childless, uh, Birth Gap, Childless World, which was written by Stephen J. Shaw. And it's it's been quite, it's gained a lot of traction such that the impact on our community and or, or what the implications are now and in the future is kind of just a springboard for us today to tease apart some of those layers of the things that we address, that you research, that you write about, that you speak about, so that we can delve into this in a way that it's relatable to other members of our community. And we can really have a discussion about what is our responsibility and how do we respond to these things, moving from the personal to the political. Right. So I'd like to start by saying that this is a set of topics that has been discussed mostly in background. It has not had a lot of prime time visibility for women and men who have experienced um, the, you know, very interesting and not altogether well understood components of what it is to not be a parent in today's society. It really does um, give, I think, an opportunity for people who've never contemplated it to perhaps look at it from some new perspectives. Um, I personally am someone who was under the impression growing up that children would be a part of my life, that I would at some point become a parent. Um, that did not happen. And I won't go into the details. You've certainly got plenty of opportunities to read about it. Um, certainly what I'd like to talk about today is how the rest of the world perceives people without children. And I think it's really critical, first and foremost, for people without children to step forward and spend some time providing some of the color and outline of our lives that has been missing. In most media and narratives, we are portrayed as one-dimensional. And there are some not particularly pleasant stereotypes that are ascribed to us. That's why when I hear people who have never walked in our shoes, who have not inhabited our lives, projecting their perceptions of our lives to the world, it's rather preposterous. I would no more try to impersonate someone who I am not. Um, and, and I also am very concerned about individuals who take up this topic with an agenda that may or may not be uh, particularly well understood. And, and I'm being a bit um, 
careful about this because I think there's important messages that are associated with the fact that reproductive opportunities are varied from individual to individual. There are women and men who, regardless of science and technology, will never be able to concede children. That's a topic that does not get enough visibility. Um, at the same time, there are people who choose not to have children, and there are people who don't have a partner or, for whatever reason, their circumstances in life, um, children are not a part of their world in terms of being a parent. And I guess what I'm trying to say here is it's important that these messages and the perspectives of those of us who are not parents are front and center and that we are not props in someone else's portrayal of our lives. Yes, exactly that. Um, it, it, it's very disturbing. Um, as you said, preposterous. It's, you know, to imagine either of us or, or anyone just suddenly claiming to be an expert on something, not only not lived, but not understood. Um, which is clear from the use from the use of terminology to a lot of the projections that have been made onto our community. You know, and I think um, this is an interesting one because over the last several decades, um, there has been almost a muddying of the waters. And I understand that we have to look at this from a personal, a social, uh, an economic perspective. Uh, there are a number of reasons why people do and do not have children. It's important to talk about the policies that have influenced our lives. But I think we also can't lose the human in all of this. We have tremendous contributions to our society, which tend to get downplayed or overlooked. And I think it's important, again, to come back to the three-dimensional view. And it's important for those of us who are living these experiences to have a voice. Absolutely. I think um, when I started looking at, you know, where where is this voice or these voices, not only from a policy perspective, of course, but all of the layers that you just mentioned, um, I was thinking, you know, what what are we, not only what are we missing out, but what is society missing out? What are policymakers missing out on? Like, where are we in these conversations? Not because we aren't here doing anything, whether that's writing, speaking, or research, or all of the other things that we are doing and contributing as in, in life um, collectively, as you just mentioned, but the lack of recognition and acknowledgement of that when something like this comes forward, where it's someone else's narrative outside of our community, it becomes dangerous that that is missing. It does. And, and the more that it becomes embedded into conventional wisdom, the harder it is to, um, to provide a, a different way of seeing things. And, and I think what's really critical is that certainly there's been academic work. There has been more than enough uh, in the way of, you know, women talking to each other online behind the scenes. But I think bringing it forward uh, is, is going to be more and more important, particularly in light of 
the political cultural world in which we inhabit today, there is, in my mind, um, more need than ever for young men and women to understand that each life has value. And whether or not you are a parental figure or a parent itself um, is, is just one aspect of what it means to be a human. It, it, it should not be so dominant that anyone who doesn't have that role is somehow considered a background figure. We're very much front and center in our own lives. Um, we've talked to each other, Christine, on and offline. We've been in public forums. Um, it really is interesting to me that, that our worlds are not better understood. And I think we really do have an opportunity here just from an overall larger narrative to be able to bring some added perspective about what it is to be a person full, fully formed in every sense of the word, living a productive, happy, meaningful life. And, and those are just three adjectives um, that I can ascribe to a number of individuals I've come to know over the years. And yet, if you look deeper into film and television series, and again, now uh, this rather strange cultural appropriation, um, we are not well represented. No, not at all. And um, thank you for that, Pamela. And and just to add to that, when I think of, so uh, you know, uh, as I was sharing with you um, before the call, um, the, the research that I've done and, and what I read, whether that's on a daily basis, and I know so many of us know these things and notice them, the even with terminology, um, which I think is, is something you can speak a bit more to as well. When I look at these, it, you know, it can be a research, a research document, a journalist article, the interchange of terms, the misunderstanding of terminology that we use as a community and knowing that that is also imperfect imperfect language for us right um many of our our terms are pronatalist if you will by nature because we have been defined vis-a-vis -vis this status quo of having children and language has limitations <laughs> however that said we are not being asked. We are not being asked about these things. We are being represented and told and researched without that input because I know immediately when I see a headline or um, the title of a, a research study, I, I can tell immediately who has written it or who has been asked and not. Just by the way they use the word. The term child-free or childless, how it's written, does it have a hyphen or not? You know, there are all these things that we know as part of the community and it's being allowed to happen, you know, it's it, and people are doing it without taking that care. Yeah, we're trying to bring some tangible to an intangible, because as you said, there is no, at least in the English language, right. there is no word that I have come across that I feel fully represents who I am and my place in this world. And being able to present yourself um, first and foremost as the individuals that we are 
is hard to do when other people bring labels and, and, and apply them to us because by the very act of describing someone as childless or child-free, you immediately inject the component of why. And we're sort of forced to present and, and answer questions that people with children, parents do not have to. Nobody walks up to a parent and said, why do you have children? Um, yet I can't tell you the number of times in my adult life that people have asked me why I don't have children. And, you know, there are certain individuals I'm perfectly happy to go into detail with, but a lot of it is a fairly complex, intimate conversation, and not every audience is prepared to delve that deeply. Absolutely. I always come back to the, um, just the notion of consent when asking those kind of questions, you know, and there's usually something behind that question, right? There's a, a social assessment, a, and, and a lot of times when we discuss this, um, people want to boil it down to, well, it's just small talk. It's what people do. You know, what do you do? Do you have kids? Um, and when we keep saying, actually, it's not that, it's not that for us, then who is not listening? Who is listening and who is not? Because I, I don't see that listening happening outside of our community. I agree. Absolutely. I think we can, uh, after the break, take a few more minutes to delve into this further. Yeah, absolutely. So stay tuned. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with Pamela Mahoney-Sudinas. Thank you. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. New Legacy Institute is committed to equitable and inclusive change to recognize the millions of people without children. We invite you to learn more about the Institute at NewLegacyInstitute.com. Join us in creating meaningful and actionable change for our community today. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. New Legacy Radio is a social justice platform for people without children. Our weekly show airs globally and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Your contributions and sponsorship are a unique opportunity to support your community and for our allies, businesses, and organizations to recognize and include people without children. To make your contribution, please go to SponsorNLR.com. We thank you for tuning in and look forward to sharing our platform with you. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is New Legacy Radio with Christine Erickson. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for tuning in. If you 
Uh, we're here for the first segment. We are speaking with Pamela Mahoney Sardinas, and today we're discussing, you know, the very personal aspect of not having children and how that is aligned and collides with um, what what is political and when it is politicized. Um, what about, you know, what is happening outside of us, outside of our community, and what are the implications for that? So welcome again, Pamela. Thank you. And I, I think one of the things I'd like to talk about is the nature of the marketplace. Um, there has become a really large commercial enterprise that is focused on selling parenthood. And if you are living in this world, you can't help but feel this sense of um, remarkable pressure or expectation that is um, now a part of our lives because there's such a prevalence now of clinics around the world uh, that are available to people. There's a an underlying assumption that anybody who wants to have children can have children. And that's in and of itself a very um, unfortunate and not at all accurate portrayal of what is possible. Um, we won't drive into the biology of it all, but suffice to say, when you have commercial forces that are taking on the larger social narrative, it makes going through the world as a person without children that much more complicated because most people have a superficial understanding of what's involved. Very true. Um, I really appreciate that point. I, I, you know, I think so often through, you know, what the, you know, what the resistance is, what, what the lack of understanding is um, from a, a point of social acceptance, you know, where the stereotypes come from and where the fear comes from of people who don't have children. Um, and when I look at some of the, just some of the research uh, rabbit holes I've been down recently and looking at countries where they're um, right now really investing in reproductive technologies, you know, looking at fertility decline and seeing it at that really surface level of A plus B equals C, and we must have more babies. And if we don't have these consumers, we, then our, our economy is going to fail. You know, this very fear-driven response to that or something also feeling as we're people that need to be fixed because if you didn't have a child this way, you must have a child this way. You know, it's not even about choosing it always. It's this, well, why, why wouldn't you, you know, again, what is wrong with you if you don't well, do solutions that people are so ready to offer us, you know? I think, you know, you've, you've touched on something really critical there. And that is that individuals who are not parents and did not bring children into the world are somehow perceived as flawed. And I take real issue with that because not only is my partner one of the smartest, most compassionate kind people I've ever met in my life, there are a host of us who really work hard to be good members of society. We are spending 
inordinate amount of time volunteering in our communities, you know, taking up the mantle for important causes. And this notion that somehow our voices are less than or that our contributions are somehow diminished is a really daunting and, and really difficult uh, reconciliation, I think, for, for those of us who bump up against that on a regular basis. I love walking into a, a room or a circumstance where I am perceived first and foremost as someone who is a is contributing to a better outcome. And when I know that I'm being accepted fully for who I am without being marginalized or in some ways feeling as though I'm diminished, it, it does have an effect on your psychology. And so just knowing that you can feel good and, and know that the people around you welcome, respect, and fully embrace you is a really wonderful sense of being alive. It's, it's you know, we're all human. We all want to be seen and heard. Um, and I think for those of us without children, we have to sort of work extra hard because we're never sure how we're going to be perceived. Yes, absolutely true. There, there are so many, it's like you get, it's like getting extra credit or something automatically when, when you have a child. Um, all of these things are assumed from credibility to who you are as a person, as a parent, that uh, they have this sort of, it's a, it's a sort of currency, you know, and it's a very strange thing to not only do you not have the currency, but it's worse, like you're bankrupt, you know, in this gross generalization of the stereotypes put on us. And um, people often ask about, you know, why I started the Institute. And there, and there are many angles into that that I won't get into. But when I think about that and those, those stereotypes, a big part of it was because I also want to know and celebrate our community, to acknowledge these contributions, to have us know each other and who is doing what, you know, not only around the activism and, and big change, but who are our experts, who are our creators and artists. And, you know, that's not what is shown. That's not what the media looks at. That's not what films look at. They look at that defined stereotype that isn't even ours to have to hold. We shouldn't have to hold that. We shouldn't have to navigate rooms that way. It's someone else's stuff, you know? Well, and I think we're not even aware of the, I guess, and I want to choose my words very carefully here because, you know, we are influenced by so many things in the world. Um, you know, it could be, you know, just where you live and the people who surround you or the um, environment in which you were raised, whether it's from a religious point of view or a non-religious point of view. Um, you know, there, there are so many messages that are layered in our overall society that sometimes we're not even fully aware just how that messaging directly impacts us. 
I think I remember distinctly the time that I kind of had to step back and say to myself, okay, I thought my life was going to go in this direction. It didn't. Now, who am I? And how do I want to present myself to the world? And how will the world accept me? And this, this notion of having to sort of create an identity that is apart from someone else's projections of what my life should be is both an opportunity and a bit of a lift because most people take for granted things that are a part of their life or that have come their way. When you have to actively construct a new sense of purpose and meaning, it is both exhilarating and a little overwhelming. Absolutely. Well said. Absolutely. And and that we, uh, so many of us go through this process of you know, sort of, it's like deconstructing and then reconstructing, right? That we shouldn't have to do, but it's necessary because we're all sort of swimming in this water of pronatalism. We have internalized things, as you said, that we're, we're not even aware of. And I think that's another reason to look at the wider world and what is happening and how what the implications are and how that impacts us individually and collectively because we can't know what we don't know right and it's an opportunity to continue this that stepping back that you did for yourself to ask that i know in my own life the touch points you know we we were talking about terminology and identity um earlier and there's this whole continuum of experiences and and shifts that happen in our lives that may move us from one end of this continuum to another or stay in the middle, whatever it is. And I think that that richness also gets lost in it, you know, because we're constantly navigating that identity. And when it's our whole identity or we're going through those processes, it, it feels like we can never get through that, right? Both from our own um, pain to then these perceptions. And so, as you said, that being an opportunity, it's how it, it's exactly how I felt when I started the Institute. And in so many of the conversations I've, I've been fortunate to have in the last, you know, year or two that I think, oh, wow, what are the opportunities? How can I enact my values? How can I be the person I am? aside from that or not with that, you know, and that became exciting to me. I agree. And and for many people, they do sort of sleepwalk through life. And, and I say that not necessarily in a judgmental way, but mm. when you are on a particular path, you don't always question, do I need to go to the left or to the right or go straight? You're yeah. just moving through life. And there, you know, one of one one element of my own experience was feeling like there was my own sense of being um, able, as you say, to both deconstruct and reconstruct, and treat that both as a growth opportunity, but also um, 
almost from an anthropological point of view, not fully appreciating just how much society shapes who we are. And, and again, that may sound really obvious, but until you sort of treat yourself as the um, the person in the middle of your own story as the protagonist and say, what do I want for this hero's journey or for this particular chapter of my life? Um, that's both an opportunity, but it but it is it is looking at a you know a blank sheet of paper. And I think one of the things that I find really both kind of uplifting, um, but also almost pioneering is being a, a member of Generation IDF. Um, you know, I was 13 years old, I think. I'll have to do the math again. Um, but close to that, when the first IDF baby was born. And so I grew up kind of knowing life before and after. And it is, I think, incumbent upon us because most young women have always heard of it as an option to be able to provide some perspective and discuss the limitations and also be very aware that we don't want to lull people into thinking that, you know, there is a right outcome, right? My life is my life. Somebody may project judgment onto it, but my life still has tremendous overall value and meaning. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that we're in somewhat new territory here and the opportunity to help craft and evolve the conversation and the narrative is very much needed. Absolutely. Um, I think that's really well put. And that's the, you know, the evolving question and response that, that I think of, you know, that I hope the Institute plays a role in. Um, how do we have this conversation? How do we ensure that our narratives are ours, you know, or reflect us when they're not. And, you know, it's, it's really difficult. There's a lot to rein in from the media to marketing. I mean, as you were speaking about IVF, I think about other things that, you know, when I started in the workplace weren't there that are now there. Imagine, you know, having a a seminar or a the option of discussing freezing your eggs, you know, and thinking that a corporation is offering you that as a solution so that you can work harder and longer for them without the understanding of what that may do to your body at the time of of extraction, let alone the costs of keeping the eggs to even if you can become pregnant at the time you use them. You know, there are so many layers of missing reality and conversation to things that women are being, we are being packaged and we are being shown packages so that it keeps that narrative that you're talking about alive, right? That there is a right and wrong way. And now we're being shown like, what is the timing of that? What are the, what are the ways? 
without the full conversation. That's right. And motherhood is, you know, it's being sold as a commodity. Um, and I think that's that's dismissive both to women and it also uh, in some ways commercializes families. And and I, I find that really off-putting and we could drill into that topic on another episode, but there is something really important about making sure that young women and men understand that the whole world has always been made up of people who do and do not have children for any number of reasons. And we cannot politicize it to the point where somehow somebody has more power and influence by virtue of their reproductive output. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and while, while numbers are changing, I think too, how, you know, first of all, we track things differently in, in these past decades, but how we are still really not accounted for in, in those true ways is also curious for this stretch of a narrative to be utilized, you know, in such a, a pronatalist way. And with, you know, very negative impacts on not only people without children, but people who don't know if they want children or who have not even had children yet. We don't know. You don't know until you know, right? Um, Unless there's something medically informing you that, that you know at a young age. You know, unfortunately, there are a lot of diagnoses where people grow up knowing these things about their fertility. Um, but it is phenomenal that we have to look at this as, you know, a, a, a shame, a right or wrong, all of the things that we've touched on when it's just, it, it's a, not just, it is, it is a, a significant experience and it is a part of our lives. My life path is one way, yours is another. And how it has been thrown into this pot of something that needs to be well, that is broken first. And now there's a narrative that it needs to be fixed, that it's an epidemic. Those are those are terms that have been used. Um, and I think it's time that we speak directly to these things publicly to these things as a community. So with that, um, we are going to take another very brief break and we will be right back with more. Stay tuned. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. New Legacy Radio is a social justice platform for people without children. Our weekly show airs globally and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Your contributions and sponsorship are a unique opportunity to support your community and for our allies, businesses, and organizations to recognize and include people without children. To make your contribution, please go to SponsorNLR.com. We thank you for tuning in and look forward to sharing our platform with you. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. New Legacy Institute is committed to equitable and inclusive change to recognize the millions of people without children. We invite you to learn more about the Institute at newlegacyinstitute.com. Join us in creating meaningful and actionable change for our community today. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is New Legacy Radio with Christine Erickson. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. And I hope that you have been with us throughout the hour. We are in conversation with Pamela mahoney Sedinas, And today we're looking at, you know, the very personal experiences of not having children and what that means in the political space. Um, for us individually and also collectively. And what are the implications of things when our community is politicized outside of our narratives, politicized in ways that we have not consented to, um, that we may not agree with, um, in ways that contribute to overall statements about women's rights, reproductive rights, and access that makes our community seem as though it's just been taken. Our terminology has been taken. Our our lives have been taken outside of our community to be used for someone else's purpose. And what does that mean and what can we really do about it? So welcome back, Pamela. Thank you. And and I want to acknowledge, um, just as I've been thinking through our conversation the last half hour, I've heard myself say more than once that my life has meaning and value. And it struck me that I don't know any parent who has ever walked forward and said, I need to define that my life has meaning and value. And so just the fact that I feel this uh, sense of urgency to get that statement out speaks volumes about the society in which we live. I should not have to make that statement. It should be understood. Absolutely. Um, thank, and thank you for that. I, I think the same, I listen to my own language or things that I read where you're we're saying, it's kind of like using but in things, you know, but I'm, I'm still valuable or I'm still valuable in this. And part of that conditioning is because we're always going from us against this status quo, right? Or places that we're not seen, we're not included, we're not, our our voices are not, our intelligence, our talents, all the things that we contribute are not, not included or not recognized in that same way. Um, so that's a very valuable point. And I, I appreciate that. And for our listeners to hear that from you um, means a lot. So thank you. Well, hopefully in the future, when women and men uh, 10, 20, 30 years from now 
are having similar kinds of conversations, uh, there will be a very different mindset and a different sense of conditioning and messaging. And I think that's one of the things that keeps me motivated to both participate in the conversation and to encourage other people to do the same. Absolutely. I I mean, I just, I've thought of it three times now. So usually that's my rule. Like I have to say it. So <laughs> take it or leave it. But um, the future conversation, I'm thinking about, um, there's a, a conference called the Natal Conference coming up in a few weeks in um, in December in Austin, Texas. And one of their slogans, or maybe it's their key slogan, I forget, is that the future belongs to those who exist, meaning to their to their children, to their their offspring, if you will. And I think about that, and I think about all of the people that I know in our community and what they're doing and how they are contributing to a future that not 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 even the future, the the present and the future. In, for children, for everyone, I mean, the work that goes into things from the population aspect, the environment, animals, people, whatever it is, and then what we are doing in and for our community is absolutely because we do not want others to have this experience, you know. Um, I, and I, may I clarify, we don't want people to have the experience of being marginalized, yes, just okay. to make sure that that's not misunderstood. <laughs> Thank you. This is why I don't do this alone. Um, yes, absolutely. Thank you. Yes, not the experience, but the ex- what we experience from others um, socially and, and otherwise. Um, so we can have choices, we can have experiences, we can grieve, we can heal. And that is a part of life. It's a part of our experience. It doesn't make us an outlier. It doesn't do all of these things to isolate us individually or to take an entire community and leave it as a missing piece of society, of policy. Well, and it's really troubling to me to think that there could actually be a conference that is all around promoting people's reproductive output. It's, it's, it by design it says if you are unable to or do not have children that your participation in society is not warranted or wanted and it's 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 a really weird message i don't know that people who have children have considered that but i often will say to folks you know, have you thought about whether your son or daughter will be able to have children in the future? And for whatever reason, maybe they choose not to. But even the expectation that parents have that they will never encounter some of these issues, I think is, is, is a blind spot for them. Absolutely. And, you know, I think about, wow, what, what is that going to look like with these very, you know, people who are really driven by not only pronatalism, natalism, but the selectiveness of it and the eugenics of it. What does that, what does that look like for their children as they navigate this? As you just said, I mean, it's, it's horrifying to me to think of those things. Um, And eugenics alone would be horrifying enough, but you know, this is being projected onto the children or future children that they are speaking of. Um, Yes, absolutely. 
It is a, it is a showstopper, you know, and it, and it's kind of interesting to me from the point of view that most, um, and I say this because I, I truly think there is just a level of ignorance that is not necessarily intentional, but by not acknowledging that some of these movements, messages, pronatalist sort of, oh gosh, again, kind of back to the corporate commercialization of it all exist around us is, is, you know, being somewhat ostrich like you, you, we all need to be aware that uh, by design, these conferences and these ideas are meant to divide and create a sense of two classes or multi-class systems, which is what I think our entire world has been trying to eliminate. We all want to be perceived as equal and we want to be perceived as worthy and valuable regardless of who we are and what we look like. Absolutely. And to and to have equitable access and resources and policies, you know, um, my gosh, sometimes I sit here and I just think, how is equality just, how is it not the baseline? And I say that not because I don't have an, an understanding of history and all of the things, but like, wow, this is what humans did with this opportunity of a life or lifetimes. You know, we, we took away that, that baseline that, I don't know. Well, I think we may have, we may have uh, assumed that it was there in the first place. That's and, good- and that that may be uh, an opportunity for us to talk about what to do going forward. And I do believe that as role models, we all have an obligation to keep these ideas alive. We have an obligation to each other to ensure that we are both keeping the conversation productive. Um, too often, there is a, a desire to sort of treat this as a polemic political only. And, you know, we, I, I know from talking with people with and without children that universally, most people want to have a fair and equitable world. We just have to keep pushing that message forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's, you know, interesting in, you know, we're in 2023 to look at our community still seeking that visibility, that understanding, um, let alone all of the incredible intersections that come into that, you know, not having children doesn't have this uh, one lane, right? We intersect with everything in humanity as a community. and the assumptions that it's it's anything but that are really unfortunate. Um, And, you know, I really want to invite listeners and people in our community to, you know, open yourselves to asking questions and to discussing these things. I really, that's what I, I feel like part of what I'm here for. That's why I want, I want to know, what we think and feel about these things and what we want to do about them. And how do we do that more collectively? You know, um, when things arise, um, like over the past months in response 
to the birth gap film, for example, are so grateful to have different activists, researchers, and demographers come together to do something, right? And I think, what if they weren't there? Or what if we hadn't done that? And how do we do more of that? How do we expand that? Um, And how can we all play a role in that that reflects who we are? You know, it's not a forced thing. you, You don't like to speak in public. Now get up and do that. How do we find our places in that to contribute what we can? I think one of the most important places is just in the communities in which we inhabit. Um, I live in a small mountain town and, you know, through my actions, I work really hard to help preserve our environment here. We um, live in a beautiful place that, you know, is facing some real challenges in terms of changes in the environment and climate. And I think demonstrating in how we behave and go through the world is a good first step because the more people see us, uh, the more they will be willing to then engage in that conversation. Um, For years, I have to admit, and this was back in my late 30s and early 40s, I I felt very uncomfortable um, being forward about some of these topics. But as I've become more comfortable in my own skin and realize that there's great um, freedom and liberation that comes from not having to pretend or disguise yourself to fit someone else's stereotype or model, the more you can really expand and embrace not only your own life, but those around you. Beautifully said. Thank you again so much for being here today, Pamela, and thank you to our listeners. Um, Let's continue this conversation, and we're going to be sharing more things and resources around this, so you can delve into it in any which way you want and share some uh, additional writings of Pamela's. So please, let's, let's be in conversation about this. It matters. Thank you so much. And until next time, take good care. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to New Legacy Radio. We hope this show has given you thoughtful context and insight to better connect with our community. For more information about the Institute or to share your questions or comments, find us on any of our social media platforms or simply go to newlegacyinstitute.com. New Legacy Radio. Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.